The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in today. We are going into part two of my research updates that I learned at the CMSC annual MS meeting. We are going to be going into all of the most recent research on things like the newest disease modifying therapy for multiple sclerosis. It is still in clinical trials, but really exciting information there. I'm also going to be giving you exercise recommendations for whichever EDSS level you're at. I'm also going to give you updates on bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction, as well as newest research on dance benefits for people with multiple sclerosis. So I'm really excited. Let's dive in to this newest class of disease modifying therapy. And just as a reminder, I am giving you the updates and these are just the biggest takeaways of the research. So this is not the nitty gritty details. If you want all of the information, I am putting that in my online MS wellness program, The Missing Link. So if you are a Missing Link member, definitely check that out in the near future. If you are not a Missing Link member and you want to get in on all these details, as well as MS specific exercises and yoga and guest speakers, then check out the link in the show notes for a behind the scenes look at what the program entails. That way you can see if it would be a good fit for you or not. Moving on to the newest class of drugs that is looking very promising for people with MS, which is drum roll BTK inhibitors. So BTK inhibitors are potentially the first disease-modifying therapy to address sources of MS damage in the brain. And that's a big difference from any other DMT that is available out there right now. These, I will say right off the top, is these are still in clinical trials. None of them have been released yet. So any information I mentioned here, just keep in the back of your mind so that you can be on the lookout. And when you see those letters and these words, you can tune in and take a bigger interest. So BTK inhibitors have the opportunity to promote repair as well as reduce inflammation and improve that microenvironment that I was talking about required for remyelination. So BTK inhibitors have multiple functions and can be used in many different ways. It truly sounds like this class of drug is there's no, there's no two BTK inhibitors that will be the same or even have the same effect. It can be massively different based on how it's created and, and adjusted. So 
it's completely different than any of the other DMTs. And one of those major ways that it's different, in addition to each one being var variable from the other, is that these drugs can actually penetrate the central nervous system. And no other DMT right now can do that. So that's a very important and unique uh, differentiating factor of BTK inhibitors. So there are many BTK inhibitor drugs that are in trial right now, many of them, but there are three that are furthest along and they're looking really promising. So I'm going to share those names with you right now. Again, just keep them in the back of your mind. So the first and the furthest along is evabrutinib. The second is tolabrutinib. And the third is phenabrutinib. So Again, I'll repeat those because I know the drugs can be hard to hear on the first time. So the first is evobrutinib, second, tolabrutinib, and third, phenabrutinib. So keep an eye and an ear out for BTK inhibitors. That is definitely something you want to be uh, in the know with, and hopefully your neurologist will be knowing about this as well, but that is something looking extremely promising. Moving on to rehab. Again, I am just going to summarize some of the results. As I mentioned, you know, there were at least 20 different lectures each day out of the four days at this conference. And so this is just a big summarization. But when it came to the rehab component and exercise, it was found that eight weeks of aerobic exercise can be beneficial for people with MS and actually enough, enough benefit where you would see a difference. Three weeks of high intensity interval training have been found to be beneficial for people with MS. And another big outcome was that exercise training actually improved verbal learning and memory, aerobic fitness, and something called hippocampal viscoelasticity, which I'm trying to stay away from medical terminology. So basically what that means is neuroplasticity and making changes in our brain. So exercise training can promote neuroplasticity and brain changes, aerobic fitness and memory and verbal learning. So amazing, you know, exercise is typically just thought of as strengthening or stretching or balance, but it goes so much further beyond that. There were also studies that were done on an FES, which is functional electrical stimulation cycling bike. And so the results, actually there's two studies. The first had results that showed an overall improvement in spasticity, functional independence and quality of life. But then the other FES cycling study showed no significant improvement in spasticity or strength. So this is another one of those examples where sometimes you get answers and other times you get the answer of, we need more research to be done. Exercise recommendations. So I first want to share with you that there's tons and tons and tons of research over the last 20 years indicating how beneficial exercise can be for people with multiple sclerosis. However, what isn't talked about as often is that that research that I'm talking about is mostly performed on people with MS who have an EDSS of 6.0 or lower. 
there's very little research on benefits of exercise for people with MS over an EDSS score of six or higher. So that's the past. But now there is actually research on benefits of exercise for people with MS of an EDSS score 6.0 or higher. So that's really exciting. This is one of the big updates that came out of the rehab lectures. So I'm going to give you some recommendations, but I am not going to go into specific exercises. And the reason for this is because form with exercise is so, so important in making sure that you do the exercises correctly without causing injury. And while also making sure that you are forming the proper neural pathways, we don't want to form any incorrect neural pathways that could result in poor movement. So I feel that attempting to describe exercises verbally would not do it justice. It wouldn't be appropriate. If you are in the Missing Link online wellness group, I will go into the actual exercises that were recommended, and I can demonstrate and explain them for you guys further in a video format. So if you're in the Missing Link online wellness program, that will be coming for you guys. Um, But for now, I'm just going to share the generalized recommendations. So For people who have an EDSS of 7.0 to 7.5, they are showing, and by they, I mean researchers, are showing that exercise is beneficial and achievable. Exercise can be independent or facilitated, meaning you can have someone help you. And exercise should be guided by a trained specialist. So for EDSS of 7.0 to 7.5, the exercise recommendation is up to 20 minutes per day, three to seven days a week. And it can be accumulated across shorter bouts with rest. So we're not talking about interval training here, but rather just taking breaks between your exercises. For people with an EDSS of 8.0 to 8.5, researchers are showing that that exercise can teach positive strategies to improve quality of life and fitness, and it can actually reduce morbidity and mortality. And this is the same for people with an EDSS of 9.0. As for specific uh, exercise recommendations, For 8.0 to 8.5 on the EDSS, they are suggesting up to 10 to 15 minutes per day, three to seven days per week. And of course, again, including rest. And for an EDSS of 9.0, exercising up to 10 minutes per day, three to seven days a week, again, as tolerated with rest. So they did give specific exercises and strategies that go along with those recommendations, but I'm not going to share them here because it just would not do it justice. Bowel and bladder and sexual dysfunction are topics that are often not talked about. And it's a really touchy subject to talk about. It can be very uncomfortable. And most people, even people who don't have MS, don't feel comfortable mentioning these things to anyone, let alone a doctor. And I loved the clinician that gave this talk on 
bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction. So I am actually going to have her on the Missing Link podcast to talk to you guys about it. However, for now, I'm just going to share some of the research that she shared with us to you. So the first thing that she touched on was which lesions are most likely to cause bladder issues. And so bladder issues may result from lesions in the pons and the midbrain and potentially also sacral demyelination. So if you know that you have lesions in those areas, then that might be the reason you have bladder issues. Bladder issues, there's a ton. The few that I'll mention here are urgency, frequency, incontinence, and pain. And bladder issues like this can often be treated both with medicine or physical therapy. And this whole topic was about pelvic floor physical therapy and the benefits. Most people don't even know that it exists. And I want to first share with you that it's different than regular physical therapy. Traditional physical therapists are not trained in pelvic floor physical therapy. You do need to find a specialized pelvic floor physical therapist. You can find one on the American Physical Therapy Association website, which is APTA. Um, Okay, so moving on. Urinary urgency correlates to a high risk of falls. So it's really important to treat urinary urgency to avoid injury. The reason this often causes falls is because with urinary urgency, out of nowhere, you feel like you have to go to the bathroom. And so you're quickly rushing to the bathroom and that can result in a fall. And some people with MS who do have bladder issues have sacral stimulators. And historically, they are metal, which is a problem because then that means you cannot get an MRI. But this clinician was letting us know that they actually have plastic sacral stimulators now, which is great because then you can get an MRI since it's plastic instead of metal. She did say they're more expensive. You do need permission from your doctors. It's this whole thing, but I just wanted to let you guys know in case you are someone with a metal one that might be interested in plastic, or maybe you're thinking about getting a sacral stimulator and now you know there is a plastic option. The most common bowel dysfunction is constipation. Now there are other bowel issues as well, uh, bowel incontinence, for example, but bowel dysfunction leading to constipation is the most common. And the number one reason many people have constipation is actually because they are dehydrated from bladder dysfunction. A lot of the times that people have bladder dysfunction, they will not drink enough water. And when they don't drink enough water, that can lead to constipation. However, we were given some tips to pass on to our clients. So some of the tips to help improve constipation, of course, in addition to staying hydrated, eat more fiber. One big one was eat breakfast. And the reason for this is because our bowels are most active in the morning after we eat. So after breakfast, so if you're skipping breakfast, that is actually leading to constipation. Exercise is another thing that can help improve constipation and an abdominal massage as well. So this is another thing I'll actually demonstrate in video for missing link members, but there's an abdominal massage that can help with constipation and other causes 
for constipation, in addition to the dehydration and not enough fiber and not eating breakfast or not exercising, could be inadequate neuro GI signaling, inadequate muscle relaxation, and decreased abdominal tone. And bowel dysfunction uh, actually typically comes from demyelination of the frontal lobe. So for bowel or bladder dysfunction, I'd urge you to reach out to a pelvic floor physical therapist. Another thing pelvic floor PTs can help with is sexual dysfunction. And we were given the statistic that 62 to 83% of people with multiple sclerosis have some type of sexual dysfunction. Factors that can affect sexual dysfunction are fatigue, spasticity, bowel and bladder dysfunction, mood disorders, weakness, so many things. And so there's a lot of areas that pelvic floor PTs can help with. These are a few, and I know it can be uncomfortable to talk about, but it can be really simple suggestions such as stretching before you have sex and exactly which stretches or the placement of your body, the position of your body while you're going to the bathroom. And so it can be instrumental. And sometimes bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction can actually be improved with medication, but sometimes medication is not required and physical therapy can actually help pelvic floor PT. So I would urge you to look into that. The final topic, this was the very last lecture on the very last day is dance and specifically how dance can help people with multiple sclerosis. So we were taught different studies specifically with targeted ballet and ballroom dancing. So dance in general has been shown for years and years and years to be effective for people with Parkinson's disease as well as cerebral palsy. And so of course it would make sense that multiple sclerosis may also have an impact with dance. So it does. Research has been done with the MS population and it shows improved smoothness of movement while walking, improved stepping forward, stepping to the left, stepping to the right, and stepping backward, and a 15% improvement in restoration of movement function. So that's huge. 15% is a big restoration. So that means that function that was lost was restored by 15%. So getting more into the specific uh, studies talking about targeted ballet, the targeted ballet classes had an outcome that suggested that there could be improvements in motor function and the coolest part, indicate remyelination in the brain. And the thought here was that we are forcing the brain to remyelinate by encouraging the people with MS who participated in this study to learn something new. New things can cause remyelination. So that was one thought that they had as to why targeted ballet movements was able to help with remyelination. And moving on to the ballroom studies, the results here showed that ballroom dancing in people with MS has shown to decrease depression and a bunch of functional outcome measures improved. So the dynamic gait index improved, the six minute walk test improved, 
the timed up and go improved, the timed 25 foot walk test improved, the nine hole peg test improved, and a cognition test also improved, which is huge. This means that ballroom dancing can help people with MS improve their cognition, improve their depression, improve their walking, improve their power and their strength. So many things. So I just love that. I think it's so amazing that we found these research articles out because ballroom dance, that's fun. Like a lot of people think of exercise as just sitting in their room and just doing something boring, but ballroom dancing can be fun and you can do it in a seated position. This can truly be for anyone. So, okay. We made it to the end. Again, these were just the lectures that I went to. Fortunately, this was a hybrid model this year, meaning a lot of the lectures were recorded for people who attended virtually. So I will be able to go back and watch some of the other presentations I did not make it to in person. But I know this is a lot of information. Again, for the full lowdown, th these are just the biggest takeaways. But for the full lowdown, I'm going to be giving that to my Missing Link members along with exercise demonstrations. So if you're a Missing Link member, be on the lookout for that. That will be coming soon. And if you are not a member of our online wellness program and you want to check it out, I will put the behind the scenes link in the show notes. Therefore, you can take a look at a sneak peek of the program, see what it's all about, see if it would be a good fit for you. And on that page is also the link to sign up. So if you do want to register for it, then you'll be able to do that right there. Thank you so much for learning with me and tuning into this episode. I hope that you now took some notes and you have some things in the back of your mind that you will be on the lookout for in research and or ask your neurologist about it just to stay up to date. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you love this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.